If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 13, chapter 3, verse 5. The more I've read and prayed over this text, the, the more I realized... I can't get through all of this in one <laughs> one Sunday. It is, there's a lot here, but uh, by the Lord's grace, we'll get through what we get through. And we praise Him for that. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen says, "But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved." Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. Either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may the, now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, to the steadfastness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, we pray. We pray the very prayers you've asked us to pray in this text. That your gospel would advance. That your word would speed ahead. That it would accomplish all that you have purposed for it. Lord, we pray for those who are delivering that word this morning, pastors standing in pulpits, that they would be faithful, that they would proclaim your word clearly and boldly so that it may have its full effect as you have sent it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this series of Second Thessalonians, it's titled Faith in uncertain times and and if we look back in chapter 2 at the beginning in verse 2 we see that the Thessalonians they're shaken in mind it says they're uh, they're alarmed they're they're they don't know what to do and and just as us today so many are shaken in mind Christians throughout history have come across things that shake them that alarm them, that that causes doubt. And so uh, the Thessalonians, their experience is confusion because somebody has come into the church and they're saying that, that Christ has already returned and you missed it. And so their confusion is, is raising up. They don't know what to believe anymore. 
And, and Paul, he's going to address that here in just a minute, but this adds to what they were already confused about because they were being persecuted from outside the church. Now they're being persecuted from inside the church and they're grieving the death of loved ones. So you can see all of this starting to compile one on another and they are shaken. And so a Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, he's going to teach the church and us likewise what to do in uncertain times. And he would say, stand firm, hold fast, and pray. This passage we're looking at this morning is filled with encouragement for the believer. It causes us to examine our situations, our, adver- our adversities in light of eternity. And so often when we think of eternity, we think of the future, what's to come. But Paul's going to bring us back here and says, no, we need to consider eternity past just as much. We need to consider the present and the future. And so our triune God has surrounded us before the foundation of the world. He, Jesus Christ, our Savior, died for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. And the Holy Spirit has called us and He's kept us for His glory in eternity future. We stand firm this morning because of that, church. We stand firm in that because, and we pray in the things that He's already promised to do. He's already promised to deliver us. And so that is the way we pray. So let's let's look and see what the Spirit is showing us in the Word. And number one, if on your outline, if you're filling that out, we stand firm with thankful hearts in our triune God. Verse 13 begins with, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. There's something different about the Thessalonians that is causing Paul to give thanks. And so to understand why he's, he put this but, this something different, we have to back up a little bit and see what's going on. And, and that, like I said, the Thessalonians are shaken, but they're, they're shaken uh, because they think the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, they think Jesus has already turned and, and he's left them. And, and what we see, Paul brings them back and he says, no, 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 y'all, y'all need to listen. God is ultimately holding back the Antichrist from coming and appearing. So that when he finally does appear, verses 6 and 7, it will be... Because God has decided it is the proper time for him to come. And that he will judge us and then he will bring an end to this world. And so verse 9 it says, Therefore, when God says it's time, the lawless one will come by the activity of Satan. So when Satan comes, he's doing all these treacherous, all these, these horrible things... And he's doing them to those who by their own unrighteousness do not believe. Then we get verse 13. But there's something different about you, brothers. You believed. There's something different that you need to ground your faith in. You don't need to be caught up in all of these uncertainties because there's stuff that you can be certain of. And that's what he's going to lay out right here. 
in these next couple verses. And number one, he says, you are cherished by God the Son. When Paul uses the word Lord, he says, brothers, you're beloved by the Lord. When he uses that word, he always means the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you are loved by the by the Lord this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what doubts. I don't know what uncertainties are facing you today. But if you're in Jesus Christ, beloved, here you are loved by Christ. And if loved by Christ, Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he'd say, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this was shown to us 2,000 years ago. It was shown on the cross When Jesus laid down his life, he stepped out of heaven, paying the penalty for our sins. And giving to those peace with God who would repent and believe in him. Again, I don't I don't know what's causing you to be worried, but know this, that your greatest need has already been fulfilled. So be encouraged And if you're not in Christ, then I would urge you, I'd exhort you to repent and believe. But not only are you cherished by God the Son, you are chosen by God the Father. He says, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you as the first fruits to be saved. God the Father has chosen you From the beginning, some of your translations might say. Paul would write to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He would say, even as he chose us, speaking of the Father, in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he, the Father, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. There's a mystery here, isn't there? There's a mystery here that we we can't quite understand. But but what does it mean when when it says God chose us or he predestined us? And, And Christians have debated this for thousands of years. But the key that we need to understand this morning is that it is for our encouragement as believers to see this. That it's, it's God's choosing us. It's meant to encourage, encourage us. And it's grounded in God's love for us. And although God chose us, it doesn't remove any of our human responsibility. It says that... The Bible teaches very clearly those who believe will have eternal life and those who don't believe will have eternal destruction. And so that's why in verse 10 of chapter 2, 
It would write, it would hold this mystery together and says, they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Listen to their responsibility. Verse 12, it would say, who did not, those who did not believe the truth, they had pleasure in their unrighteousness. So, The scriptures would hold God's sovereignty and human responsibility side by side in perfect unity. And again, we cannot reconcile these things in our minds. And scripture is not calling us to reconcile these things in our minds. It's just calling us to trust in what the scripture says. I think Jesus holds this in this this tension, this mystery in perfect unity in several places, but in one of them in particular, John chapter six, he says, "All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out." If you're wrestling with sin this morning, hear Christ say. Come to me. I will never cast you out. So God has chosen you. And you have been cherished. And then third reminder that should cause our hearts to be thankful is. You are called and kept by God the Spirit. He chose us through, it says, the sanctification by the Spirit. And belief in the truth to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain glory of our Lord. God the Spirit, he calls us in the present through the, the preaching of God's word. And it is an, it's an overcoming call. It's we did not love God. We loved our sin. We needed a new love. So the Holy Spirit gives us new love, new affections, and he does this through heart surgery. So let me try to illustrate this for a minute. Consider Jamie and I, our dating history. When I first saw Jamie, I was in love. But she was not in love with me. So how did I how did I get her to love me? Did I force her to love me? The youth on the front say yes. No, I didn't. I in various ways I was very persistent. I showed her my love and by the grace of God I won her heart one day. Now likewise think of God. Think of God in and as he he loves his people, but we did not love him. And so through various means, through the for his people praying, through the preaching of the word, he he shows he the the Holy Spirit showers his love on individuals until their heart of stone has a new heart. A heart of flesh that has new affections, new loves for the things of God. That happens to every single Christian. When we are given a new heart, new affections, we respond by faith to God, we trust Him. But, but notice in the passage, He didn't only call you in the present. 
He, he called you. He keeps you. Verse 14. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He keeps you for glory. And so the whole point that I want us to see that this passage is trying to show us as Paul is talking about our triune God, he, he's, he's pointing at in your present time, in your present struggles, in your current situations, God has had you from eternity past. He's had you in the present and he's had you in eternity future. He has surrounded you. For all eternity. This is why Paul can say. My light and momentary affliction. I know it don't feel like that. I know it don't feel light or momentary. But in light of eternity. It is. And therefore. We stand firm. Because the God of all wonders. Has surrounded us. He's not going to let us go. In Deuteronomy 33, verse 12, Moses is writing uh, his last uh, blessings to the people of Israel. And he writes, The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. This is the picture. This is the reason for our standing firm. This is the reason for our gratitude. And next, number two on your outline, Paul would tell us then to hold fast to our triune God's word. He says, so then, brothers, verse 15, stand firm hold and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, if you have your Bible in front of you, underline in, in, verse, 13, in verse 13 and in verse 15 the word the. It's not a tradition. It's not a truth. It's the truth. It's the tradition passed down from Jesus Christ to his apostles who preached and wrote the Bible that we have in front of us today. And there's three things we need to consider in order to hold fast to our triune God's word. One, the truth must be spoken and recorded for us. When Adam and Eve sinned, God did not leave them in their sin. He pursued them. He, he promised them that there would be a seed of a woman who would one day come and bruise the head of the serpent. Genesis 3, verse 15. And God would then call out prophets and he would give them his word and they would speak and write this word for our instruction, which is in our Old Testament. And it was always pointing to this seed of the woman that would come. And then we, we get to the New Testament. And in this manger, this seed is born. It's Jesus Christ. And he would teach his disciples. And he would tell them in, in John 16, I got to go away. But I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who's going to bring to your mind everything that I've taught you. He says, you're, you're not ready for what I've taught you yet. You can't bear it all. But when I leave, 
I'll send the Spirit and He will bring it to your mind. And He did. Jesus did go to heaven. Jesus did send the Holy Spirit who did guide the apostles and bring to remembrance all that Christ had taught to all the truth. And they wrote it for us. And now we have it. When we hear the preached word, men and women are changed. They believe this word. And then they go and tell that preached word to other men and women who are in their sin. And they believe. And the tradition passes on the gospel, the good news. And this is why we have to have it spoken and recorded for us. We need to be reminded of Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Truth had to be spoken so that we would know it. That we would be able to speak it to others. We weren't given just different truths or... We weren't tossed to and fro. God gave us the truth. He didn't leave us in our own imaginations. So this had to be spoken and recorded for us. And then it must be, the truth must be believed by us. I know that seems obvious, but it's not enough to have head knowledge about this truth. James would tell us demons believe in God and they shudder. We, there's a major difference in believing things about God and believing God. When I was, uh, before uh, believing God, I was taught the gospel my entire life. From my mom and dad, I, I watched it lived out in their marriage. I heard the gospel preached by Pastor Jake hundreds of times, if not thousands. I knew things about God. I believed that there was a God. But at age 12 in a revival service, something changed. For the first time that night, I heard the gospel. The same gospel I had heard thousands of times. I believed it. I trusted in it. I I realized for the first time what it meant that, that Jesus died for my sins according to Scripture. That He was buried and He was raised on the third day. And so, when I heard the Scriptures that night, I believed it. I received it. I believed it. And then I held fast to it. Paul says something similar when he's writing to the Corinthians. He he reminds them, and it should remind us of as well. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Brothers and sisters, let us hold fast to the word and prove that our, that our trust was in God and not in men. So the truth must be believed by us. C, the truth must be lived out in Christian fellowship. It says in verse 15, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions. And we could, we could say that 
that this is saying to brothers and sisters, those who are loved by Christ, set apart by the Spirit. This letter is written to the church. So when it says to hold fast, we're to hold fast together. This isn't Lone Ranger Christianity. Paul would, or maybe Paul, somebody who wrote Hebrews, let me put it that way, wrote Hebrews 10.23, we know it's through the Holy Spirit, whoever wrote it, said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another. We're good at that part, but finish it. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to stand, we need each other to stand firm and hold fast. Sure, we can read the Bible on our own. We can pray on our own. And I pray that you do those things. You should do those things. But it is when we come together. When Scripture is being plied together. When we're encouraging and loving one another. It, in the local church that we can withstand life's storms. So many people, when, when, when trials and temptations and doubts come, they leave the church to try to handle it on their own. And they miss the very gift of the church that God has given to them to help them withstand life's trials. So brothers, let us stand together as our culture is going to become more and more unstable. Let us hold fast together, letting the Word shape our every thought and everything we do. And then let us, thirdly, pray for faith in our triune God's promises. If you ask a sailor about the best way from getting seasick, he will answer, keep your eyes on the horizon. When everything is starting to shift around you, when you, you must find something stable to fix your eyes on. Thessalonians here, they're shaken. Everything, they're alarmed in mind. Everything around them is shifting. So how do you have faith in uncertain times? Paul keeps taking them back and pointing them to God. And he does it again in this section. In verse in, in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, The Lord is faithful. He keeps coming back to that. He keeps fixing their eyes on that. And we must fix our eyes on our God. And so he's going to do that. He's going to then say, Pray for us. And he's going to ask for prayer for two specific requests. And each request is going to teach us how to pray and remind us of truths about prayer. So the first request, he's going to say, he's going to say, we need to pray for the advance of the gospel. Look at what he, what he says. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. As happened among you. So 
Prayer, in its most basic definition, is asking God for what He has already promised to give. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. Paul probably has Psalm 147 and Isaiah 55 rolling in the back of his head as he's asking for the Word of God to speed ahead. Listen to Psalm 147. It's speaking of God's word to his creation. It says, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. And then Isaiah 55 sounds similar. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I have sent it. God's word will accomplish its purpose. So Paul says, pray then, brothers, that the word, this saving, sanctifying scriptures, this the truth, the revelation of God, pray for it to go to everywhere. Pray for it to bring men and women out of darkness into light, just like it did you. And so this should cause us and shape our minds that, that we should be praying for our evangelism. That the word would continue to spray, but to, to spread, but it also it reminds us of at least four things in this passage. It, it reminds us that this, for one, is a command from God. That when, when God, when Paul writes this, he's not writing his own words. He's writing God's words. We are to pray for the advance of the gospel because God has commanded us to pray for the advance of his gospel. But also be reminded, as we talked about earlier, unbelievers must hear this word in order to believe. So we pray for the advance of the gospel so they would hear the truth so that they would be like us and in Christ. But also, thirdly, be reminded of the gospel's effect in your own life. I think this is sometimes what we forget in prayer we're praying from victory, not for victory. It's already changed us. And we pray like that. And the, and the best way I can maybe illustrate this, and it probably falls short, but have you ever watched a, a, a basketball game? And it's really, really close game the whole time. But at the end, your team comes down. They hit a three. It's a tied ball game. They hit a three. They go up by three. There's a minute left. What do you start to do? You start to yell at the TV, right? You start to scream and, and yell and, and cheer them on. But then they throw in the ball and your team steals it and hits another three. Do you stop cheering? No, you cheer louder and louder until you see that the game is secure and you're waiting for that final buzzer. That's the same way we should think about prayer. The victory is secured and we pray more and more and louder and louder until we hear that final buzzer when, when Jesus splits open the sky. 
And we re- he takes us into glory. That's how we should pray for the advance of the gospel. It's working. It's doing what it's, it, God said it would do. Pray louder and more and, and more uh, joy and peace, knowing that it's from victory, not for victory. And then also, I think uh, we should be reminded that, that the prayer is, is, is the weapon in which God uses to make the gospel effective. I get this from Ephesians 6 when he's talking about putting on the armor of God. All the armor of God is defensive except the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and prayer in the Spirit. So prayer, it's like, it's like in the, in the battlefield of this world, it's, it's God's uh, walkie-talkie in which we talk to God and tell Him to bring down heavenly artillery on the world. Lord, would you blast open an opportunity for me to share the gospel here? And so God has given us prayer to remind us and, and to be a weapon that He uses to bring people to Himself. So pray. Pray for this advancement of this gospel. But also, the second request Paul asks for, he says, pray that God's messengers would be delivered. And this one is similar. Where are you going? He's coming on. He's got his suit on. Nehemiah is trying to come up here to preach. Paul prays for deliverance from wicked and evil men. And this really goes with the the first request. Wicked and evil men, they want to stop the spread of the gospel. And so Paul prays that you deliver them. And this word wicked, it it could literally means those out of place. And so it, it could be talking about those outside of the church who are opposing the church. It also could be talking about those inside the church. Those false teachers, those wolves in sheep's clothing, they are literally out of place with the people of God. And they are trying to, to, to stop the spread of God's word. And so we should pray that those who try to oppose both outside the church and inside the church... That God would deliver us from them. And again, God has promised that he would do this. And this reminds us of at least four things as well that that I want us to uh, think about and consider in this passage. This first one is the obvious one, but we need to be reminded that God is our deliverer. We need to be reminded of that daily. Every morning we wake up, we need to be reminded that God is our deliverer. And Paul here, he fully trusts God to deliver him. When he's praying, God, deliver me from wicked and evil men, he's not saying, you might do this. He's fully trusting in him. That's why he says, not everyone has faith, but you, Lord, you are faithful. You will do it. In 2 Corinthians 1.10 Paul is being afflicted. It's so much that he, he says it's, it's like he thought he had the sentence of death on his life. 
And listen to his words. He says, the Lord, he says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him we set our hope that he will deliver us again. He keeps delivering us. Set your hope on God, your deliverer. But also remember and know that this then should cause us to trust God with our whole being. Because he's not praying, Paul's not praying, deliver me from this bad thing and bring me into this safe thing. He's saying, deliver me from this trial so that I may run with the gospel as is my calling, he says, to a riskier obedience so that the word would continue to spread. So often we think of deliverance as bad to safe. That's not what God promised. That's not what he promised. Uh, Paul, everywhere Paul went, he was stoned. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was at the point of death over and over and over again. He knew these things were going to happen. God promised them they were going to happen. Yet, he fully trusts God. And that's why he can say, whether by life or by death, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's going to deliver me in one or the other. And I trust him in that. But also consider, church, that that adversity or uncertain times for believers is the grace in which God teaches us how to rely on him. Now, I know that's hard and, and it's hard to understand. But in the same Second Corinthians passage I was reading earlier, Paul said right before it, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He said, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In God's mysterious providence, He uses uncertain times to teach us how to fully trust Him. And this reminds us of of the last thing I want to bring to our attention. It's also in these uncertain times that He's molding us and making us into the image of His Son. Remember Jesus' life. Remember Matthew 27. He's, he's on the cross. He's, he's about to die. And he's, he's, everybody's mocking him. At the end of verse 40, it, they're saying, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders, they mocked him saying, He saved others. He, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him. And the irony of those words is that as they're mocking Jesus, God the Son, God the Son is delivering them, the mockers. He's fully can call down myriads upon myriads of angels and wipe all of them out right then. 
He didn't. He fully trusted in the promises of his father that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he hung there on that cross. And you, beloved, us, we've been called to take up our cross and follow him. And that's going to require us to learn how to trust him on the cross as the world mocks us. Again, that's not easy and I'm not pretending that it is. But it is necessary. I'd say none of you in here today are are shaken like the Thessalonians and that you think that Jesus has already returned. That's not any of your worries. That's not any of your doubts. But if you are shaken this morning, if you do have doubts, then I would say it is based in the same root cause of their shakenness, and that is the fear of the unknown. This COVID virus has has shown that more than anything else I've ever seen. That people, they're they're mad about masks, mad about mandates, mad about vaccines, mad about this. And it's both sides. Everybody's fearful. So I'm not calling out one side or the other. I'm saying the fear is on everybody. They're shaking in mind. But there's a lot of other uncertainties you might be facing. Maybe compiled in all of this time, maybe you've gotten a bad cancer diagnosis. Or a loved one has died. Or maybe a family member's gotten a cancer diagnosis. Or maybe you're just having to deal with, with aging parents and, and hard decisions on, on what to do. Or maybe you're, you are the aging parents and you're having to trust your kids' decisions. Whatever it is, it's just all compiling on and it's, it's causing fear. It's causing doubt. And whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. That's the circumstance. For Paul, the circumstance was wicked and evil men. Hear God's word this morning. Stand firm in our triune God. Hold fast to his word and pray for faith to believe him. To believe his promises. For some, just real practically, going to have to turn off the TV going to have to get out of the news and the social media and you're going to have to get in this word so you know what these promises even are. But some of you, you know all of these promises. You're still shaken and you might be like the father of the boy of the unclean spirit in Mark 9, 24, who said, I believe, but help my unbelief. There might be others who are still in their sin. Never believed God. And I think this passage, it just it just hits you in the face. It, it just addresses you, what are you standing firm in? Or holding on to? Where's your hope and confidence at this time? Is it in your works? Or is it in your money? Or your intellect? Or whatever it is. I pray this morning that you will give up those feeble hopes in this world. And you will turn to Jesus by faith. We're going to close this 
um, time out together, the sermon out. Grant's going to come and lead us in Christ, our sure and steady anchor. And I pray that that we wouldn't just hear those words, that we would believe them and hold on to them. That Christ is our sure and steady anchor that we are to focus on and to keep our eyes on in the instability of this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for you, the triune God, Lord, who chose us from the beginning. Your son, Jesus, who delivered us on the cross, accomplishing salvation for us. And your spirit who has convicted us of sin and applied that salvation to us. Help us to to have hope in that, to be grounded in that this morning. Help us to then come back and hold to your word. Lord, would you give us wisdom to understand it and faith to believe it. As we deal in all these uncertainties in, in this time... May our fears lower and our faith rise. That will only happen is if our faith is is fixed on the, the sure and steady anchor. Our faith cannot be on anything in this world. And if our faith is in anything of this world, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us and deliver us from that. May we repent of those things and, and trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.